Have you played any gigs recently? Um, last weekend, um, yeah, the week weekend before the one just gone, uh, I was at the um, Rock and Blues Festival in Skegness. Oh yeah, nice. In Darlington the night before that, with right. uh, both with John Verity. John Verity. Oh, I think I know uh, that name. What's... Yeah, he, he used to be with um, Argent back in oh, the Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. I've, I've known John since about, oh, 1970, 71, something like that. Okay. Never, never actually played with him before now. Oh, great. What, what did he play in Argent then? Well, he, re- he replaced the original uh, front man. You do, did you do all the Argent stuff then, like God Gave Rock and Roll to You and all that stuff? Uh, two of them, that one and um, Hold Your Head Up. Oh, yeah, had yeah. to do those two, I suppose. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Got an email from Graham this morning, uh, coincidentally, oh, yeah. Paul. Yeah, asking for a copy of the, <clears throat> the Natural Wonder Revlon ad. Did, uh, All right. Did you see our documentary about that? The tape that we the found. One, this was the one that the one that you you baked. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What What did you think of the tune? Um, I remembered. I remembered the. I remembered the uh, the session. Do you? The tune itself was vaguely familiar. Right. Well, because um, none of the four members remembered doing it at all, but you remember the session. Well, this was. Um, oh, was this the original? I'm, I'm getting confused with yes, another. Yes, it was set. The, the original four piece. There was a a jingle that Eric Graham and you guys recorded for Doctor Pepper. Yes, I, I I was in attendance at that one. The, the The song was was vaguely familiar, so I would have been a fly on the wall on that one. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, that's incredible. So you, we, you... we we did it. We did another commercial um, with the Mark II version. Um, and I sometimes get confused between the two. Yes, of course. Yeah. The Dr. Pepper one you, you, you're talking about, I guess. That's the one, yeah. 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 Cracking tune, that, I think. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper. And if you drink Dr. Pepper, you'll find that you're a pepper too. Dr. Pepper. I remember the, uh, the, the American uh, producer came over this this woman from New York, and she brought her a boyfriend, and he had with him um, a master tape that he wanted to hear in Strawberry's control room. Right, and it yeah. was Asia, Steely Dan's Asia. Wow! Oh wow! So we got to hear it a couple of weeks before it was released. Oh wow! Amazing! What the 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 quarter inch master? Yeah. Oh, wow. uh, imagine that! I'm not sure if it was a quarter. It might have been the quarter inch, actually. Okay, okay. Right. I, don't, I don't think he'd have, bring, he'd have, he'd have brought the uh, 24 track. No, no, wouldn't, no, they wouldn't. Have, can imagine he would have got lynched by Fagan and Becker yeah. if he'd brought that away. Cool. I'm not. I'm not sure who who was in attendance um, in an official capacity. Can, on, can on you the, re- um, on the Revlon one? That is yes. The, we can you remember insofar as I mean we think it's an Eric Eric was sort of driving the ship for the Revlon one because he's doing the lead vocal and it sounds like his kind of thing can you can you remember anything about the session um no not really okay. I, 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 I can, as I say that the, the tune was um 
was vaguely familiar, and I, I remember them doing it. Mm. Right. Um, and I remember being there. Yes. But as I say, just as, a, as an observer. Right. That's it. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Just before we, we carry on, Paul, I just wanted to say thanks so much for, for our first chat. And we've had some really, really lovely feedback uh, about, oh, about both of the podcasts, especially the second one, actually, um, because you give such a fascinating insight into the 1980s, really. Um, and the, the very interesting things that were happening with the band. I'll tell you the thing, if I may, the thing that has intrigued people the most about what you said was the events on that fateful night in Nottingham. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Consequences podcast. Um, we have with us again Paul Burgess, this time to talk about his extracurricular activities. That is extracurricular to 10CC, of course, of which there are lots and varied and interesting things to talk about. Uh, so, welcome once again, Paul. Hello there. Hi, Hi. Paul. Hi. Uh, we were just talking before we started, Paul, about, we'll go on to all, all the other projects you did, but um, lots of our listeners are interested uh, in how you came back to 10CC Mark III, I suppose you'd call it, um, when Graham got the band up and running again. Okay, um, well, <coughs> during my absence, my 18-year absence, uh, Stuart Tosh continued working with with Graham and the rest of the guys. Yeah, in whatever form, he was also doing um, tour, touring shows. Um, I'm not sure what exactly which productions, but I know one was called Robin of Sherwood, which Rick Fenn co-wrote. Yeah, some oh, lovely yeah. tunes. Rick was very kind enough to share some of that stuff with us, Paul, and it's some lovely things, aren't okay. they? Yeah, so he was doing that, and also the Roy Orbison story, he was touring with that. So they, they do a week in each, you know, whichever city. And Graham um, got a request to um, appear on the, the lottery show, which um, up, up, to, up until that point had been done from London. And for some reason, the BBC decided to shift it to Manchester. Hmm. And on top of that, they were going to do it live, uh, not not to playback, yeah, right. as they'd done in the past. Mm. So it was a, it was a double biggie for the for the BBC. A, it was it was a change of uh, location, and B, it was going to be live. So um, Graham had been asked to do that and to do Dreadlock Holiday. So Stuart found found that he was unavailable to do it. Now my my the chap who took my place in in eighty three, Jamie Lane, was was doing that session, and I I did the percussion, the marimbas and the the cowbells and yeah, timbales, the stuff you'd played on the record. Yeah. So yeah. basically, I was just brought in for that. Now it's time for tonight's greatest hit from twenty one years ago. 
when I was only two. Please welcome 10cc and Dreadlock Holiday. Trucking right. I heard a dog was beside of me. And I looked round in a state of fright. And then the next, the next thing I think was probably about a, maybe a year later, Graham was uh, making a return visit to uh, Ronnie Scott's in, in Birmingham for, I think, a four or five day run. And again, Stuart was unavailable. So I did that. That was the first live work I'd done since 1983 with, with, with Graham. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, that was me back in the fold. Mm. Yeah. And and how did it feel to sit behind the kit and play all those great songs again? Was it was it a good feeling? Yes, it was very good. Because um, I was playing songs that I'd never played before. Because Kevin, Kevin would have played kit. Oh right, or, oh. or Stuart. So you know that that was the way that was the way it used to work, even with with um, the Mark II version. You know there were songs that Stuart would play. Yes, right. Um, so I was I was playing tunes that were new to me on kit. Um, yeah, I mean the repertoire was was always of interest. So yeah, are you, are you saying that you? With the Mark III, you were playing more of the the Godly and Cream material that you yeah. hadn't really you hadn't really played in in Ten CC Mark II as much, had you? Well, there was some of it I had, but there are, I, I guess there were a couple of tunes that um, you know that Stuart would have played. Yes, you know when we transferred to Mark II, I guess he might have taken taken on the part of uh, you know a couple of Kevin's Kevin's role. Yes, yes. Sure. Sure, and by that stage, the whole ethos of the band had changed. I mean, Graham is rightfully regarding it as a, as a legacy pro project. So the Godly and Cre he was no longer promoting new material either, really, largely. So so it was more like the entire canon was being showcased. So you would get different songs yes. coming in. Yes. Yeah. He was also billed as um, Graham Goldman and Friends. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the the 10CC. Monica wasn't wasn't um, part of the part of the uh, the billing at that point. They, they later became um, ten, uh, Graham Goldman of Ten CC, and then as time went on, it did basically just Ten CC again. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a general thing that's happened to um, a, a lot of musical projects that have gone on as time goes on um it, it, it just is uh, you know the original band isn't it now you can you know some people would argue different but i mean i can't see that there's anything wrong when you've got you know an integral part of the original band there um in graham and yourself yes. and rick performing uh songs from the entire catalog and graham's always very uh, open and always straightforward about saying, you know, this this song was written by this person, this song was written by this person. He, he doesn't try and pull the wool over anybody's eyes, does he? Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing was, in, in the Graham Goldman and Friends, uh, by this time, Mick Wilson 
was was in the fold. Mm-hmm. So he was he was playing the percussion, but he didn't play any kit. Yes, so I, I was right. a sole sole drummer. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I I also believe that um, Eric was was asked to to get involved, uh, but wasn't interested. Uh, didn't want anybody else to do it. Um, so that that's I think I think Graham had a constant struggle, you know, billing wise. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I know in his autobiography, for example, Eric number of times cites the fact that he's he's unhappy with the fact that the, the band is billed as, as 10cc but obviously legally illegally he hasn't got a leg to stand on i guess otherwise he, he would have stopped it right is, it, is this the um, the recent book that's that's come out yeah the things i do for love uh that eric's eric's book uh, that came out on um it, uh, annoyingly you can't get it as a book you can only get it as a as an ibook can't you, Sean? I think. Yeah, Kevin's is the same, actually, Paul. It's uh, that's a, an, an iBook as well. They're both fascinating reading, actually. They are. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and Eric doesn't pull any punches with Graham. No, no I guess he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Say and no the, more. The, well, while we're on the subject, there there were a number of uh, overtures made, weren't there, to sort of reform the original lineup as well? I think early in the twenty first century. I don't know whether you were aware of that at all, Paul. No, no. Um, how how long ago was that? I thought there was some attempt made round about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um, but I'm I'm sketchy on sketchy on the details. I don't mm. I don't know. I think by that time, Godly and Cream had fallen out. Yes, I, th- I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, they, they'd long since stopped to c- collaborate by then. So, so that probably was a. It was a no. It wasn't going to happen anyway. No. ask a question that I wanted to ask earlier chaps it goes back to I think 91 Paul uh, and a a conversation we had with Graham a few months ago where he was talking about his disappointment with the Meanwhile album um, and how disappointed he was with both the the producer and uh, the the sound of the band and he, he said to us at the time that in hindsight, he wished he'd got the old band back together. What were your thoughts on 10CC's Meanwhile? I'm trying to think which one that was. Was that the last one they did? Not quite. It was the last but one. It, Kevin and Lowell made a brief appearance oh, on the record. Oh, that's right. It was, that was a sort of reunion. Yeah. The reunion Produ- wasn't. Yes. <laughs> Produced by Gary Katz, Steely Dan's producer, who, according to Graham, wasn't that interested in the project at all. Did he do the last one? No, that, that was more of a um, self... The last one, Mirror Mirror was a kind of thing where Graham and Eric worked on their own largely 
uh, and then and then pieced it into an album at the end. But but the players on that was were, were picked by the producer. Yes, and it was yes, top yeah. top American session guys basically. Well, yeah. well, it was well, it was Jeff Picaro, wasn't it? Yeah. Played a lot of drums. Well, re- supposedly the last session he did before he died. Yes, wow, really. Oh, okay. I believe so. I believe mm. so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what, what, go, what goes through your mind, Paul, when you when you listen to that album? I mean, it may be a long time ago now since you heard it, but well, I I, I thought that about the the eighty two album, uh, Windows in the Jungle, was it? Yeah. Yeah. The the one with Stevie Gadd. Yeah, Steve Gadd and Simon Phillips played. Yes. played that. Yeah. I don't know who else from uh, from the band. I'm not sure if Rick Fenn was involved in it. But I, right. I felt I felt that that album would have benefited from the the old team because I mean not I mean Steve Gadd and Simon Phillips fantastic players yeah. but Steve Gadd didn't really he didn't really stamp his mark on it it was it was just a session to him you know mm. I mean there were no trademark Gadd things mm. um, and from what I understand. The time that they spent on each on each uh, basic track was minimal. You know, they they'd run it through, they they play it, they put a take, they do a take, and then uh, Eric would say, apparently, um, that's great. Shall we do another one? And Steve Gad would say, well, why? What was wrong with that one? <laughs> and, uh, I think uh, from what he was charging and what the budget was, I think mm. they only had him for two days. Good career. Yeah. Their usual method of working is you try something, Great, and then you try and something else, mm. and you'll you'll keep you'll keep working at one track until you find something that works best. Mm. So they didn't devote that sort of time to it. It was a, a bit of a disappointing album for me. Same here. I, I find it I find it a, a bit of a soulless project, to be honest. There were only a couple of tracks that really appealed to me, and um, when we went when we. We did the '83 tour. Uh, they ditched some of my favourites from the, the previous repertoire mm. uh, to make way for new songs, and I think there was there was only one that I really enjoyed playing, and that was uh, one of the Simon Phillips ones because it had a, a really interesting drum part. Mm. But from a tune point of view, it didn't really interest me that much. No. No, here, here. And I also thought I was going to do that album because I was away with with Tull. And when I came back, I phoned the studio and the, and said, "What's happening? You know, when when do when do we start?" Mm. And uh, they said, "Oh, we started yesterday. Uh, we've got Steve Gadding with my little Gretsch kit." <laughs> the man himself played on the album that I thought I was going to do, but on my kit. But that was okay. That was okay. Wow. That is big of you, I have to say.
anyway, let's uh, let's let's move on to if it's okay with you to to all these other projects. Um, I, I like to start with. Um, I don't know whether it was the, the first after 10cc, but uh, working with John Cooper Clark, was it called? Um, I'm looking at the, the the Invisible Girls. Was that a, sort of a, just a kind of a, a name that was a, la- a larger collective of people? Did that band actually exist? Far from crazy pavements, the taste of silver spoons, a clinical arrangement. On a dirty afternoon. It was not particularly large. No, there, there were about five of us, I think. The um, well, this was a strawberry, a strawberry project, right? Um, spearheaded by Martin Hannett, yeah, who also played bass, yeah. Um, because I played bass, I, I no, I played with him, <laughs> um, with uh, Spider Mike King, okay. Ah, so you that's how you played with Hannix. Yeah. I, I knew Martin from the early 70s. Wow. So this would have been uh, mid to late 70s, I guess. 78, I think, the first um, Disguise in Love. I think that was, was that an album? Yeah, that... Three, three albums. Yeah, and, and, and you, I don't know whether you, did you play live? Did you tour live at all? We did one, one tour, as I recall. And Pauline Pauline Murray was yes. the support. I think we also played. We backed her up as well. Yeah, because wow. Martin Martin produced an album for her, didn't he? Right. Yeah, it's a, it, okay. it's a big cult favorite of that sort of early eighties uh, Manchester right. sound. Okay. Well, the, the luckily the, the the band is captured on a a great whistle test clip, which I presume you must you must have seen, Paul. I have, yes, and I'm playing the 10cc kit as well. Oh, oh, is that you really playing? have fantastic. I've lined it up actually, Paul. Do you mind yeah. if I if I if I spin a few minutes of Let, it? Yeah, let's have a look because this is Cooper Clark's largely regarded as one of his masterpieces, Beasley Street. Fantastic song. But I have to say this, I've, I listened to the studio version and the live setting knocks spots off the studio version, I think. It's a wonderful right. a wonderful version. Um it's so musically interesting. And, of course, Cooper Clark's message is really kind of lacerating, isn't it? And and so bitter about... Written about the streets of Salford, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This raging savage no kind of Fantastic. It's, Any it's memories great. from that whistle test session or, or uh, any of the studio stuff? I remember it was done in Manchester. Not much else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interestingly, the uh, the key, the keyboard player, I think he was the uh, the musical instigator. Yeah. Um, Steve Hopkins. Right. And um, just prior to uh, the the uh, uh, the pandemic. I was uh, in a new project with with Steve Hopkins, which I believe I still am, but uh, we haven't haven't resumed yet. (laughs) 
Oh, I hope so. What was great about that band was it kind of completely broke down the let's call it the tribalism of of Manchester music because you got you got yourself there, Paul, alongside Martin Hannett, obviously Vinnie Riley, Dave Formula, and and Cooper Clark himself. I mean, it's a real meshing of Manchester talent, and just goes to show you when when musicians get together, it doesn't really matter what genre they come from if they play well together, it just works. Yeah, I'm not sure if Dave... Was Dave Formula on that? Um, he played on synth, the, didn't he, I think, yeah, on I, this? I, I, I think he is on synth, yeah. Um, oh, I, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going from notes, but I think I think he's on there. Um, right. Yes, it's... Uh, well, the whole, the, whole, the whole thing was... Um, there was nothing specifically laid out. We, somebody, probably Steve Hopkins, would just start some sort of vamp and then we we join join in. It was basically a jam, right? And that that was the way that the tunes were recorded. Um, right. There was nothing set in stone. Oh, you play this, you play that. Yeah. Just start playing and see what happens. Yeah, it's a really interesting way. Yeah, because so uh, uh, Cooper Clark already had his words, presumably, and then you just. And and then you you got a mood to fit the words that way around, and then he just started reciting them over the top. It's it's a really creative approach to making music, isn't it? Definitely. I yeah. just I yeah. just picked out uh, this record from my collection, chaps. I mentioned it uh, just now. Can you see that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Pauline right. Murray and the Invisible Girls. Yeah. RSO Records, uh, produced by by Martin, um, engineered by Chris Nagel. Uh, mm-hmm. At Strawberry, and uh, interestingly, Vinnie Riley is is on the album as a special guest. Oh right, it yeah. was on drums, was it? it? Wasn't John Mayer, was it? Just see if there's there's no inner sleeve, unfortunately, Paul. I think uh, that name came up when I was looking at the history of that. I think he did. Did he replace you when when Ten CC got up and running again? Is that is that what happened, Paul? Uh, it could have been, could have been. Yeah, that, if if I was away on tour, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, from from the sublime to the ridiculous, but in its own <laughs> what in its own way sublime. Can we talk about the heebie-jeebies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I was looking at some clips of these guys and. Uh, they're absolutely brilliant for what they do. This was like a parody band, Angus Dayton, Philip Pope, who I think was the main guy and wrote most of the songs, and Michael Fenton Stevens. Um, and uh, Sean, could you possibly cue up that uh, clip of them doing the Bee Gees parody? <laughs> it's absolute genius. The, the lead singer has, has nailed Barry, hasn't he? He really has. Yeah, yeah and Ang- Angus Dayton there, you know, sort of before his, his, his fame as, as, as comedy's Mr Sex. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. It's 
brilliant. <laughs> and have, that that is a live vocal as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it, all is, three of them are singing live, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Which is very impressive. But the the other song I wanted to mention, um, Paul, and Sean, I'm sorry, we probably don't have a link to this one set up. Is the is the police. Uh, parody too depressed to commit suicide oh, dear. and you, you are playing on that aren't you paul yes yes and that that is a absolutely accurate of uh, stuart copeland i mean did did you've got all his mannerisms all this kind of you know double f- it got the flavor of it for sure yeah, yeah. Now, now, so did you have to do your own homework and work out uh, just as they were parodying the music and lyrics did you actually listen intently to what he was doing on drums in example for example uh, to a to a degree yes yes i mean the, the, <coughs> there were there were all sorts of uh, musical jokes like mm. um the, the status quo one for instance was right. uh, a particular favorite of mine because it had these odd bars Things that they would never do. Yes, ah. they were very, very straight four-four. <coughs> you know, it was it was that constant rhythm. But when you start breaking it up with with, with little, you know, little two-four bars and things like that, yeah. It, I mean that that in itself is is funny. Yeah, and it's the attention to detail is brilliant. So for on in that example, then did you work with Philip Pope? Had he, did did his song already have that component in or is that something you added the different bars no they they had that idea of of breaking it up yeah okay wow i've got a clip i've got a clip of it if you're interested yeah come on we've got to hear this i don't know this at all it'd be um a treat for me this is the pcs of course uh too depressed to commit suicide You've got the old polyrhythm going on there. (laughs) (laughs) What a dreary life it is this. Teaching. Feel like a peach melba without a peach. I was more depressed, I started screeching. Feel like a Harris hair without the bleaching. Like the, the the British Weird Al Yankovic, isn't it, really? Yeah. How did you get involved with these chaps in the first place? Um, well, they, they'd, booked, they'd booked Strawberry. Um, I can't remember who <laughs> who they'd sort of put in charge of, of getting the band together. But uh, they're all people that I knew and had worked with before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can, other than that, I, can't, I, I can remember turning up to the session. We we set up, and then we we gathered round the piano, and um, Phil Pope started the. Um, well, it was it was the he the actual Bee Gees parody one, yeah. and we didn't re- we we weren't told it was going to be a comedy thing. We didn't know. <laughs> that. And, 
<laughs> and as he started going through it, the rest of us were sort of looking at each other. <laughs> what the hell's this? Oh, God. <laughs> and then the penny dropped. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, they, they were great <laughs> sessions. Real, I mean, a lot, a lot of laughing. Yes, I oh, bet. I bet. <laughs> but I'll tell you, about four or five, five years ago, maybe, I went to see um, Ian Hunter. Yeah. And... Um, I I seem to remember going going back for a drink afterwards uh, to where they were staying, and his drummer Steve Holly, um, ex Wings, he used to be with McCartney's Wings at one point. Yeah. All he wanted to talk about was heebie-jeebies. <laughs> he lives in America, has done for years, and it seems that um, heebie-jeebies has reached cult cult status. <laughs> and and right so. To know Wanted to know all about it. Oh, that is brilliant! Did, did you ever go on tour? Did you ever go on tour with them? Because I remember they came to Loughborough University, where I was studying in like I don't know eighty one or eighty two or something. I didn't actually see them, but they did a tour. Did they tour with a full band? And were you in it? Um, I, I I never toured with them. They, no. When they did, they did a second album, apparently, uh, but I think it was a different a different team on that. Okay. Okay. Um, in fact, it was it was some years later that, that I found out about that. Okay, but their attention to detail was uh, was wonderful. I mean, looking at the uh, the cover of the um, of the police one, it's it's exactly the the same as the, the original. It absolutely yeah, is, isn't it? The um, the uh, the Bee Gees, <clears throat> and they'd even got their names on the the leather jackets, but they were. Gary, Norris, and Dobbin. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, I've, I've got to get that record now. Yes, the whole thing. You, you had several uh, theme parties at Loughborough, didn't you, Paul? Uh, uh, celebrating the heebie-jeebies? <laughs> no, I think I think you're over-egging the pudding there slightly. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, uh, that record also, Paul. It also contains a Saint Winifred's School. Uh, choir pastiche. Uh, I don't know whether it even had drums. I, I wonder whether you remember that and what Peter Tattersall thought of that. Or... <laughs> well, I think Peter, Peter might even have been involved in the engineering. Oh, that's really? Nice. I don't think you get away with that these days. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I don't re remember what that song. Oh, um, can't remember what it was. What that song was. Sent Win Sent Winnerlots Reform School Choir. That's that's the that was the. <laughs> The name, fantastic, isn't it? Uh, okay, Paul. What about um, Magna Carta and Midnight Blue uh, album from '81, and with a with a song <clears throat> called Highway to Spain? I think was the near hit. Can you tell us about that? And we'll play a bit of that because that's a lovely song too. Yeah, they, they got a lot of mileage out of Highway to Spain. I think that was well received <coughs> in all their, all the territories where they were popular. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, strangely enough, I, <laughs> I, I turned up to Strawberry one day to pick up some equipment, which was all stored in the basement. As I walked down the stairs, down, down to the, you know, the, hospitality room the first thing i heard as i reached the bottom of the stairs was peter tattertall saying 
well, he's a drummer. <laughs> and they, they look round and I'm looking at them. And they're, yeah. they're planning that they're this forthcoming album. And they decided that they were going to put drums on it. Just at that moment, I walked in. So it seems I got the gig. Oh, that was wow. handy, wasn't it? <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, because am I right in thinking that they, their previous stuff was, was just very folky and pastoral and, and no drums? Or am I thinking of a different band? Um, I think they, they had had drums on some of the albums, but they were... They were considered as the um, uh, the British Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice stuff, and, and and this track I think is lovely. I've got it racked up actually. I think Paul only comes in halfway through, so yeah, I've got it. I've got it cued. Right, <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> Vic Emerson played keys on that. Oh. Right. And um, all those lovely orchestral things, the string things on his, on his synthesizer. Oh, wow, that's all synth work, not real strings. No. Oh, right. Oh, I, I assumed it was strings. I, it, it's sugary, that, but I, I, I really like it, actually. The harmonies are lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, as I say, it, it did really well. Um and it's probably the most commercial thing that they did. Did you go out on the road with them? Yes. Um, I think about a year later, I'd, I'd started touring with them. I, I, I didn't do a great deal, but um, yes, yes, I went abroad with them. It was mostly mostly uh, Holland. That was their, that was their real stronghold. Holland and Germany. Um, I don't recall doing too much in in Britain. And another another thing about that, we 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 started the um, we started the first day, and there was a guitar player with them called um, Al Fen F E double N. Ah. And uh, I turned up the next day, and he wasn't there, uh, but uh, Doug Mortar was. So that was when I met Doug Mortar, and um, I've worked with him a lot over the years since. Yeah, the, quite strange. The uh, the surname Fen isn't that that common. So to be working with two two Fens, no relation. Brilliant. And another band that I'm interested in in your work with is this lot. Ah, yes. Classic uh, British prog band Camel. Uh, I've only got a couple of their bits and pieces. Uh, none, none of them are, are, are albums you've played on, Paul. But uh, tell us about your your history with Camel.
approached me to um, to do an album, and and it was it came in the wake of me leaving 10CC. Um, and I think this this would have been late '83. They 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 called me, and um, this was called Stationary Traveller. Um, and then in '84, uh, they they toured that album, so I went on that tour. Um, coincidentally, Stuart Tosh had been playing with them prior to that. Oh yes. <laughs> Um, but this seemed to be a different different lineup, different bass player, um, different keyboard player. But still with Andy Latimer, was it? Andy Latimer was was the only original from Camel at that point. Right. Colin Bass, uh, the bass player, I think had worked with them a fair bit before. <laughs> but Andy Andy was the only the only one from the original lineup. Right. Right. He was fantastic. Well, he still is. Um, one of my absolute favourite guitar players. Really? Um, it was, um, yeah, one of the most enjoyable tours, well, periods that I ever I ever had. Um, I toured with them again eight years later uh, because there was a big gap uh, between albums. Yeah. And I did the next, the next, I didn't actually play on the album, I think maybe overdubs, but I, I did the tour in 92 and um, fantastic uh, experience. I bet. And uh, um, pressing all your, your proggy buttons, I guess. Were you, were you playing the, some of the classic 70s stuff as well? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, um, the '92, the '92 version uh, was um, to promote the current album. The the first set was basically that album in its entirety. Wow! And I, I, there were just four of us on that because um, previously there had been, well, the '84 tour there were three keyboard players. Wow! Um, so I think I think the lineup was probably about a seven piece and uh, a four piece in '92. Right, and of course the original lineup was a four piece, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Can we can we yeah. hear a little bit from that uh, from that '83 album? Uh, yeah, have you got Stationary Traveller itself queued have, up there, Sean? That's a that's a right. lovely track. It really, really is, and I've I've <clears> queued it up from where you really where the drums really kick in, Paul. I mean, he, he should be, you know, regarded as highly as, you know, Dave Gilmore and, and the like. He's, he's, he's a stunning player. Absolutely. Absolutely phenomenal. It's, so, it's got so much feeling, hasn't it? Exactly, exactly. And he, technically, you know, when he wants to, he, he, can, he can go for the Alan Holdsworth thing, you know. <laughs> what, the... <laughs> he, he can do all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which doesn't particularly um, fit in with most of Camel's stuff. It's more melodic, 
But he's, he's, there's a lot of blues in his playing. Yeah, very emotional. Yeah, I, I, I love that style. It's, it's the reason I love... Uh, Steve Hackett is my favourite guitarist for exactly that reason, Paul, is that it, it, it's not all histrionics and Holdsworth, Eddie Van Halen type stuff. It's, um, it's a, all about melody and soul. Yeah, yeah. You'd certainly get that with Camel. Yes. Very, very happy times for me. Um, I'm going to bang um, my Camel original LP and the Snow Goose I've got as well. I, I think that's a, a very lovely album too. I'll have to investigate Camel. I'm afraid they've they've largely passed me by, so I'm going yeah. to do some it's gonna it, do it, some digging. It's extremely listenable, um, right. and um, musically really interesting. It's, it's akin to Barclay James Harvest, maybe, but um, I, I find it even more satisfying to listen to. Yeah, yeah. The '92 tour was uh, committed to an, a, a double album. Ah. Uh, never let go. after the after stationary traveler in 84 was also committed to video okay uh, so a double album and and video as well yeah it's, it's, pressure points yeah pressure points live in concert um yeah so i'll check that out um and there are some clips on on youtube obviously of that as well with with you playing paul so that's great fantastic From prog back to pop, let's uh, c- can we have a look at um, the colour field? Uh, how did how did you get involved with with Terry Hall and his and his team? Uh, well, that that would have been similar circumstances. You know, they they were going to record in Strawberry, right? And um, probably asked, you know, who was around. So <laughs> my my name would have come up. Um, yeah, again, a very very pleasant album. Uh, I think I played on most of it. Yeah, I, I'm, um, there was a track I was listening to called "Castles in the Air," which I've got a feeling Pete DeFreitas played played on that track. Is that right? Uh, but the what was what was the hit single? Think, thinking, thinking of, of you. you. I, I adore that tune. You, you were on that one because you're on top of the pops again, Paul. There we've we've dug out a top top of the pops appearance. Yes, I was on that one. Yeah, and. Um, the girl who's singing on that. We talked about her vocal with, with Baz, didn't we, Paul, a couple of months back? Oh, yeah. The band. Terry Hall joined up with ex-Swinging Cats, Cats members Toby Lyons and Katrina Katrina Phillips? Katrina. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Right. She wasn't actually um, hired as a, as a singer. She was um, the girlfriend of, I think, maybe the engineer. OK. Right. Who was engineering at the time. By default, she she just went and did a vocal, and it and it worked. Yeah, she was a really nice character. Right. 
um, the, the Top of the Pops thing came across really well. Yeah, I think I think she sounds great on that record because it's it's um, yeah it's a sort of different type of vocal, isn't it? It's very straightforward, but it, it sits yeah, with the song. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I, I I've got the Colour Fields debut album, and uh, it's it's a really good listen. I love Terry Hall's later stuff. Actually, um, it's much more amazingly sort of influenced by the Beach Boys. And you, of right. course, you don't associate Terry Hall with that kind of stuff. <laughs> you you expect him to be snarling out political yeah. slogans with the specials, <laughs> you know, it's incredible. Yeah. Let's let's have a little listen. And compare our graveside manner as we wave our lonely banners. If you ever think of me, I'll be thinking of you. If you decide to change your view, I'm thinking of you. Sadly, Paul, um, your face completely obscured by Terry Hall there. Oh, no, there's a bit where you can see, Paul. Is there? Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to I'll, dig that out. I was just wondering, Paul, since we're talking about Top of the Pops, uh, are there any other sort of um, appearances on there that we've, that we've missed that you, you made with other bands? We found a couple, but... Strangely enough, just looking at that clip, my little Gretsch kit, I was in a, a, a project called The Rock. Um, the Real and Soul Association. Right. Which got an appearance on Top of the Pops 2. These were mainly folky, folky people, and it was a band made up of members of Jethro Tull, all sorts of. Um, I think there was somebody from Fairport in there. It was something that was was pretty much. Um, it, it was a husband and wife team, mm-hmm. um, or they were by then. The not, name's escaping me. Not written, not someone of the ilk of Richard Thompson or anyone. No, I think he's doing pretty producer, good for names. The producer's a guy called Nigel Stonier, who right. at one point with the Straubs, mm-hmm. and I used to do a lot of work for Nigel, and any recording projects he got, he involved me. Thea Gilmore. Oh, Thea Gilmore. Now that that's a yes, yes, um, yeah. She's she's recorded in Airtight Studios, I think, in in Manchester. I've done quite a bit there. I, I did her first album, maybe the second one as well. Right. Um, but as, as I say, I, I worked a lot with, with her husband, Nigel. So they got this idea together to do uh, basically old soul classics, but done in a folky way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, Robbie McIntosh was on the, the Top of the Pops clip. On uh, He was playing mandolin on that. Martin Olcock was playing bass. Martin was with Fairport and also Jethro Tull. Mm. John Kirkpatrick was on uh, accordion. He's a big name in in folk circles. Yeah, it was um, from a folk point of view. It was a, it was a bit of a stellar lineup. Yes. Right. Oh, we'll have to try and dig that one out as well. Then, Definitely. And and you've mentioned Tull a couple of times there, Paul. And I, I believe you went out on tour with the Toll, didn't you? 
Yes, in 1982. Um, Ken Teasley had some downtime while Eric and Graham wrote the, the next album. Um, so I knew that I, I wouldn't be required for a certain amount of time. And I just saw this, this ad in the, in the back pages of uh, Melody Maker, quite an anonymous ad. It, it, it just said, um, drummer, drummer required for British band with album in American top 40. Mm. <laughs> That's all, basically all it said. And then a telephone number. I called the number and the voice on the other end said, that, well, there's no, nobody in from the band today, but the, the bass player, Dave Pegg, uh, will be in tomorrow. So I, I spoke to a friend of mine and said, who's Dave Pegg playing with now? I knew Dave Pegg from Fairport. Fairport, yeah. And I didn't know him personally at that point. And they said, oh, he's with Jethro Tull. You should, you should go for it. And uh, <laughs> I auditioned and got the gig. God knows how. <laughs> <laughs> Pure talent, I remember, Paul. I remember turning up to uh, the rehearsal with that same little Gretsch kit. Yeah. Tiny, tiny kit. And I thought, they'll, they'll be able to tell how I can play, you know, yeah. on whatever I, I use. Exactly, so I went yeah. to the audition, and then Ian Anderson said, can you come back next week with a bigger kit? <laughs> 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 I had to go back with the, the double bass drum multi-tom-tom kit. Yes. What, you mean, oh, so that he, he, he did want to do a second audition with a bigger kit anyway, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, well, it all I mean, worked I'm, out. I'm not, I'm not a particularly flamboyant player. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, looking at previous Toll drummers, that was that was their forte, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really surprised that I got it because I'm, I'm a bit more straight ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they had about 200 applicants for it. Good grief. Which very, very quickly got whittled down to maybe a dozen or so. Uh, but in in that in that dozen, there were there were some pretty big names in the drum world. So I, I was I was really surprised that I I got it despite them them applying for it. That's you, amazing. You're, you're being overly modest, Paul. So here's a chance. You tell us some of those names that you beat out because it's you know you. Everybody wants can. to hear this. Yeah. Well, I know I know Carl Palmer was uh, one wow. of the Wow. Okay. Um, but Ian Anderson. Wasn't wasn't really interested in him. Okay. One of their previous albums was called Under Wraps, and uh, Eddie Jobson was on keyboards, and Terry Bozio was the drummer. Or maybe no, maybe he wasn't on the album. He was with a band called UK. With, oh yes, uh, with Alan Holds. Eddie Jobs. That that was it. Yeah. The drummer on Under Wraps was a, a chap called Mark Craney, an American. Great player. Uh, sadly, no longer with us. Mm-hmm. But ideally, Ian Anderson would have liked Terry Bozio, who is a phenomenal player. Right. But um, I don't think Bozio would have been interested at all. What, uh, having had his fingers burnt, you mean? Well, no, I mean, the, the, the sort of... I mean, Bozio is, is, is a real solo player. In fact, that's what he does. Most of what he does is just him. Right. He does, he does solo performance. But he, he's worked with the likes of Jeff Beck and uh, Frank Zappa. 
He's, he's, he's an extraordinary player. Mm. With that in mind, you know, what they were looking for and what they actually got in me, um, two different things, but it seemed to work. I got away with it. Interesting, Paul. Just as a general point, and speaking as an aspiring drummer myself, I'd like to know from from you, somebody who has you know worked successfully with so many people, have you got any hints and tips about what you need to do as a as a drummer, particularly when you're joining a project that already exists, or you know what 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 do you need? Obviously, you need the musical talent, but clearly, you need more than that. Well, there are two two ways of looking at it. I mean, if if they want a current version of what had gone before, then then you have to um, delve back and 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 do your homework on on the previous drummer styles. Yeah. If, if they want a new approach, they want your approach. They want new blood. Then it's mm-hmm. a different kettle of fish. Um, in the case of Tull, um. Because I, was, I didn't have long to rehearse. I only had about a couple of weeks, I think, to, to learn this stuff. Good grief. Which was a, a total nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the only way to do it, really, was to learn parts that were already, I mean, fantastic parts. They were, they were known parts of tunes. So, I mean, not, not that I, would wanted to, I wouldn't have wanted to change them anyway. Um, so, so I basically had to learn what had gone before. It's it's only when you become familiar with it and comfortable with it that you can start stamping your own identity on it. Yes, I yeah. see. But um, I I never because the tour was I think the tour was about six weeks in America, America, Canada, mm. a few European ones at the beginning, but. Most of the way through, I was still learning it, you know, still <laughs> still getting comfortable with it. Mm. So I never re- never really reached a stage where I was able to relax and, and try different things. Mm-hmm. I've seen quite a bit of footage that, um, you know, bootleg footage. Yeah, I seem to have uh, done okay. <laughs> yeah. there, there's no official recording of, of my time with the band, unfortunately. No, that's a shame. Right. Mm. I must but, but some of the some of the stuff I've been sent is um, I've, I've been quite impressed with it. Did you turn up your flamboyant knob um, <laughs> to, to maximum for that for that tour? You said that your style doesn't really match the the, pre- well, the previous Toll drummers. Well, it was pretty full on. Well, the, the drummer who who'd done it before me, he he'd done the album that they were still promoting. Yeah, and for some reason had, had left. Uh, Jerry Conway. Now, Jerry, Jerry is, I mean, I know him from folk circles, Cat Stevens, um, people like that. Yeah. Um, A band called Eclection many years ago, Fotheringay. But seeing footage of him with Soul, he was really laying into it. He's capable of, you know, being a bit of an animal. (laughs) Um, So there was was a certain amount of... um, forcefulness with it 
because because soul music really needs that that drive. Yeah. You know, it's it's very pompous music. Yeah. Wasn't Jerry, Jerry Conway the drummer on the McGear sessions and didn't his kit get used on the Wall Street Shuffle? Am I thinking the right, about the right thing? I think guy? you are, Paul. You are right, yes. A oh. uh, little Heyman kit that he was using. Right, right. Yes. Um, I remember speaking to him uh, during those sessions and he said, um, McCartney's starting a new band and um, he's asked me to join. That was Wings. Mm. Yeah, mm. uh, but he turned him down because at the time I think Jerry was might still have been with Cat Stevens, who was right. big news. I mean, he was big news. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a that was a, a very good gig for uh, for Jerry to have. It's extraordinary this interconnectedness, isn't it, between. Um, all of these major bands and major artists. Uh, and I have to say, Paul, it's helped by... You've got an amazing memory for these people's names. Good grief. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of these people... I mean, Jerry, I see from time to time, whenever Fairport come around. Yeah. Because um, he's with them these days. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done gigs. I think about three gigs three situations where I've taken taken over from him. <laughs> um so yeah we've uh, we we've sort of had contact over the years. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned Stuart Tosh and taking over from him and the other and the other way around. So yeah, I keep you you sort of keep crossing paths with with Yeah. Uh, well Stuart Stuart I saw um just after New Year. He he was over from Spain. Okay. And, uh, we, we we met up. So we're all, all still in touch, yeah. Or still small boys Rise inside and come this tortured soul Give me just one last choice Whisper soothing words and take control I was just going to ask about the, the Christians. I think you played on their third album. Happy in Hell. Do you um, have I got that right? Did you play on the Christians? Yes. I can't remember how I got how I got the call for that. Um, I, I was doing some work in a studio in uh, Bury, north of Manchester, mm -hmm. um, Square One, I think it was called, and um, the call might may have come from them. I'm not too sure, but I, I went in to do a couple of tracks. I put a couple of tracks down. I distinctly remember the first the first one, I was basically just well get getting the drum sound and I was just warming up and they, they played me the track, the first track. And I I, I put one down and it I got to play everything I'd always wanted to play. All the little licks that I liked, I put in and it really sat well. Yeah. So one one of the guys turned up late and said, oh, have you started? The producer said, yeah, we've already put one down. <laughs> and uh, it, it was agreed. There was nothing more to add to it. That that was perfect. Wow. So then we, we worked on the next one. So as time went by, they, they reworked that first track. 
so that that um, that performance was actually lost. Oh. Um, oh, and they, they did they did bring me in to to do the the revamp version. I think that was done in um, a studio in Wales, a place called The Windings near Mould. Right. And um, yeah, they, they'd re they'd reworked it, so it was a, it was a different feel entirely. But I, th I think those were the only two tracks I, I did on that album. Okay. I was, I was listening to the album, and um, I don't think you play on the... There's a big cast of players on that record. I don't think you play on the single What's In A Word, but uh, the one track I thought I recognised you on was called Father. I don't know whether you recall the, the track names, Paul. I, I really can't remember the, the titles now. OK, no worries. OK. And uh, was, was Henry Priestman part of the band at that point, Paul? He was. He was, yes. And um, in more recent years, he, he, Henry's a, a good friend of Graham's. That's right. And uh, and we've had a lot to do with Henry. Um, oh, right, with, right. With tape well, baking and so on. In recent years, I've, I've mentioned that, that first, that first um, take. And he, he thinks he may have it somewhere, but ah. um, <laughs> as yet it's not appeared. I'd like, to, I'd like to really like to hear that first one. Okay, if if it exists on tape, I promise you it will go through my little uh, tape baking process, Paul, and and you'll get oh right, you'll get the first if you copy could of that. that one, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Henry need to get put your heads together on that, Sean, so Defo, you can dig, dig it out. Again, I've, I've got another crash symbol. If either of those sound a bit off. <laughs> I mean, there's tons of other projects, Paul. There's Joan Armour Trading, Alvin, St Alvin Stardust, uh, The Icicle Works, and Chris Farlow. Is there any of those or any others that we've completely missed that you that, that spring to mind as memorable people you work with or things you've done? We'd love to hear. Well, um, I mentioned earlier with Magna Carta, Doug Mortar, mm -hmm. guitar player. Yeah. Um, I started working with Doug uh, a lot around about 1991, I think, 90 or 91, uh, with a, a guitar player, Jerry Donoghue. Now, Jerry had previously been with Fairport Convention, uh, so he was known in folk circles, but he, he was more of a country player, a Telecaster player, and um, string bending was his his special speciality and we had this band called the backroom boys mm. uh and i i replaced jerry conway in that okay <laughs> he, he was the original with that um and i worked with them for, for quite a quite a while well, about five or six years i think right and um towards the end of that time 
Uh, Jerry also played with uh, two other Americans. They had a thing called the Helicasters. And I did a series of dates, live dates with them, which was, uh, yeah, phenomenal. They, they were incredible players. Country. It was. Um, it was all instrumental, but um, incredible players. And I think there's um, the first thing I did was actually a live German TV. So I can remember still learning this stuff as I was driving over to Germany. And got there late, had a rehearsal in the afternoon, and did a live TV. Wow! So that that was pretty much the rehearsal. We'll try and dig that out. Sorry, what was the name of the band again, Paul? The Helicasters. Right. And w did was anything committed to... Was it? Did you record as well? No. No, they right. they, they had albums out. Uh, right. With, with an American team. Okay. Right. Um, but this this was... Um, I think Jerry, Jerry had asked uh, the bass player, Alan Thompson, and myself from the Backroom Boys... If if we could we could cover these gigs, so um, that's how that came about. Right, absolutely. right. I was really intrigued, uh, Paul, um, with your work with the Icicle Works, and um, yeah, I'm I'm a real fan of the band and and Ian McNabb in in particular. Um, at, at what at what point did you cross paths with them? That would have been um, 89. Yes, because I had I had a different employer pretty much every year through the 80s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was it El Elkie Brooks? Yes, it Camel 84, Elkie Brooks 85, Joan Armour Trading 86, 87 was Gloria Gaynor. Wow. <laughs> was Alvin Stardust so yes it would have been 89 <laughs> that's quite a CV just as a, as really a brief is. aside but sorry to interrupt your foot your have you actually got a CV with all this printed out somewhere because it's a hell of a CV <laughs> uh, probably on Wikipedia <laughs> uh, well yeah you don't need a CV good point sorry Sean I, in I interrupted your um, your question oh no no problem and and was was this a live project with Icicle Works Paul or, or did you do recording it was an album to begin with. Permanent damage. It Permanent says, damage. That yeah. was it. Yeah. Um, and then they they went on tour and asked me to 
to do a tour with them, uh, which was great. I really enjoyed it. It kept me on my toes because they, they were all about 10 years younger than me. <laughs> right. Very energetic. Yeah, um, cheeky, you know. cheeky scousers. Yeah, it was great music yeah. to play. I really enjoyed that. Oh, fantastic. They, they've got a track, Paul. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Hollow Horse? Yeah. Uh, from it's from a mid '80s album called "The Small Price of a Bicycle," but "Hollow Horse" is a classic. It really is a real epic, yeah. epic tune. I love, I love, I love Ian McNabb's songwriting. Yeah, really good. Yeah, a, f- a friend of ours is is uh, a close friend of Ian McNabb. I'm thinking of Jimmy Paul. Yeah, he was in a band called City Lights with Ian McNabb, but that's going way back. I yeah. mean, that's like 1980, 81, so yeah. I don't... Part probably... of that exciting kind of scene at Eric's, etc. Yeah, Liverpool scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of Scousers, Paul, I think you were replaced by Zach Starkey, weren't you, in the Icicle Works? He, he played in... Uh, he, oh, no, you, you replaced him, I'm sorry. I'm he sorry, was, you replaced him. I remember Ian, Ian McNabb saying... Um, they played at the Marquee Club in London, mm. and he was quite amused because on the guest list he'd written uh, R. Starkey plus one. <laughs> 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 so that was his dad and uh, Barbara Bach. What? Yeah. Wow. Uh, plus one, very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, super. <laughs> Can I ask you um, if, if you're involved in any recording projects at the moment, Paul? Or is it mainly live? Is it just live work that you're doing? There's a there's a guy I, I play uh, local gigs with, an American who lives over here. Uh, he called himself Midnight Johnny, mm-hmm. and uh, done a couple of albums with him. And during during lockdown, we 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 did another one, which is coming up for release. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that. Uh, there's a project run by a chap up in Clitheroe, which is actually, uh, it's to raise money for a, an MRI scanner. And he's he's an agent, the chap who's organised it. So all the bands he, he has association with, hmm. they've, they've all participated. So, um, and he's mixed and matched musicians. So I find I'm playing with... Um, the blockheads on one track and other guys on another track. So it's 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 quite an interesting project. Oh, that sounds amazing and and a, a fantastic cause as well. What what's yes. the, what's the yeah. name of the project? Uh, I don't think it has one at the moment. Okay. But, um, it started out as a, as a an album. I think it's going to be a triple album. Oh right, okay. But the well, the, the, the names on it. It's it's just the whole. It just runs a gamut of the, the music industry, really. Sounds like you it. Know, a, lot, a lot of blues guys, a lot of rock guys. Yeah, all all names that, that people know. Yes, and uh, it must have been a thrill to play with Blockheads. Yeah, well, it was done virtually. I'm uh, never right. in the same room with them. Yes. Yeah, that 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 was the the latest thing. Yeah. love you to come along to our 50cc gig in june in in stockport i looked at the dates yeah and, are you uh, around 
I don't think I am. Just, just uh, tell me the dates again. A twenty fourth and twenty fifth of June. June. Yeah. I did check. I think I may be in the Orkneys. Okay. I've got twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth with a question mark. Um, because of course that involves getting there, doing the yeah. game, getting back. Sure. Um, it's not set in stone as yet, but um, if it doesn't come off, we yes. definitely we definitely want to keep a couple of comp seats warm for you. But if I'm around, I'd certainly be there. That'd be wonderful. Oh, thank, thank, thank you, Paul. You. It's lovely to know that you would be. And you know, yeah. if your if your Orkney thing doesn't come off, do let us know. But wonderful. But in in any capacity, uh, Paul, it'll be just lovely to have you there. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant stuff. It's strange because I um I was doing a gig up in um a place called North Allerton. Oh yes, in Yorkshire, northeast. And uh, there was a guy came along. I got got talking to him, and uh, he's in a ten cc tribute band. Ah, ah splitters. Okay, which I had actually heard of. I think they they also do ELO. Yeah, ten cc ELO or something. Yes, I've heard oh, of them. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Oh. So uh, I had uh, I had heard of them before, and right. Um, right. I'd sort of made a, a mental note to uh, look out for them. Ah, okay. They're crawling. They're crawling out the woodwork, Paul. It, it's hard to do. It's hard to do the ten cc stuff. That's a problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I've been speaking to another band whose name escapes me, but they've been rehearsing for a couple of years. And they've still not got the, the vocals sorted yet. <laughs> well, I, I know the feeling, you know. Yeah, I know. It's extraordinary. It's... Paul, thanks so much. This has been uh, amazing. And uh, our listeners have, have, have loved what you've given us so far. And I know that they're going to love uh, today's contribution. So thanks again. Good. Good. Glad, glad you're happy with it. And uh, I hope I haven't said anything that I shouldn't. <laughs> Was it Steve Faulkner who um, put you on to me? Oh, yeah. It, now, where do I know Steve from? I think he's just on a 10cc group. Yeah, and I, I play, well, I used to play with him uh, with a, a little blues band. Ah, right. Okay. Pre pandemic. But the uh, the guitar player, he took on some work in the uh, the Cayman Islands. Ah. Right. But he's, uh, he, he's due back over, I think, in April. Right, we're trying to do some gigs then. Okay, that'd be great. Brilliant, brilliant. And yeah. yeah, th thanks very much, uh, Steve, for for getting us together. Yes, yeah, thank you, Steve. Yeah. Okay, well, great, yeah, great to see you, Paul. We'll be in touch again soon. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with everything. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Cheers, lads. Cheers. See ya. See ya.
been listening to The Consequences podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Thanks for listening.